All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fair Chase Podcast. We're happy that you're here. We're happy that you're ready to start learning. Before we dive into this episode, you know, we got to talk about a few companies that help make this possible and some of the companies that we back personally because we believe in them. Now, first up is HuntWise. There's a lot of mapping software and apps out there, and the best one that we think is is definitely HuntWise. I mean, they've got so many cool features that some of the other ones don't have, especially this HuntCast that we use every single time before we go out in the woods. Our, I mean, our time is precious. we got to know when's the best time to go out. And instead of searching around on all the, the weather sites and checking out all the details, you can go right to the HuntWise app, put it in your location, and you're getting local wind, local predictions based on where your stands actually are, and it helps you actually choose the best stand so you're not wasting any time and you can get right in there and hunt that buck you're after. Go visit HuntWise.com. So James and I have shot different bows from different manufacturers, and we all, every time we shoot them, we always go back to primes the reason is they're just so shootable and we're just so accurate with them they're super stable and they just came out with the new revix 2 4 and 6 is their brand new bow for 2023 hunting season g5prime.com so next up we got vector arrows this is a company that has just blown me away with their ability to help the customer out. Basically, you don't have to go through and, and find your shaft weight and spine strength charts anymore. You don't gotta deal with any of that. Basically, you go to the website, you put in your draw weight, your draw length, your tip weight, and they basically build the perfect arrow for you. No guessing, no questions. And then you can customize them. They got a bunch of different options. You can shoot the HMR or the ZMR. These things are sweet and they seriously are some of the best arrows in the industry. And they've got a zero failure guarantee. So if you break it or bend it, they're gonna replace it. So if you wanna save yourself 10% on that, head over to Vector Custom Shop and use the code TFC10. There's been a lot of hype around tree saddles. Some of you might be hesitant to even try one. These things are awesome. If you ever wanted to try one, Trophy Line Tree Saddles make the best saddles in the industry. They're super comfortable, they're adjustable, and the new Venatic saddle, we were able to get our hands on it a couple months ago and it just seriously blew us away. So if you want to get into the saddle game, go over to trophyline.com. You can save yourself 10%, use the code TFC10, get into the saddle game, it's gonna change the way you hunt. James and I like to go tromp around on public land and one way we're able to do that is to have good footwear. Uh, we used to lug around in, in rubber boots, and by the end of the day, we'd have sore feet, and it'd be, it'd be a mess. But we finally decided to get some good boots and partnered with Lathrop & Sons. These boots are so nice. They fit your foot perfectly. They've got Synergy foot pads that are made to you know, form around your foot. These guys take the time. There's years and years of research and design and how to create the most comfortable boot. Go check out Lathrop & Sons. Last but not least, Vortex Optics. These guys have some of the best glass in the industry. Binoculars, rangefinders, spotter scopes. We love them. We've got it on our rifles. We use their rangefinder all the time. They also make clothing lines every quarter. James and I are practically wearing a piece of Vortex apparel every day. Everything is high quality. They come out with new items usually every quarter. So spring, summer, winter, fall, they've got new lines and new clothing coming out. Check this stuff out. And if you want to save yourself 20%, head over to Vortex.com, head to the apparel page, and save 20% with TFC20. Welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase podcast. Uh, I've got a special guest with me today, Brandon Lilly. Uh, Brandon and I and a bunch of other guys got together uh, in Kentucky this year, kind of shared the same camp. 
Mm -hmm. Um, so we kind of, I saw you a little bit there, but, uh, wanted to follow up and we've been following up ever since. Yeah. I think we had talked about possibly doing a a campfire podcast when I was there, but it just, it just worked out. I mean, that was a kind of a crazy camp anyway. Um, it seemed like there was a lot of people there and, um, I know some guys were filming, some guys were hunting. And then once the hunting for one guy was done, the the roles traded, traded. And so it just made for a, for a busy camp and, probably limited some of the overlap because I tended to stick more to the guys that I was, you know, hunting with or there with, and you guys kind of doing your own thing. And there was some good overlap, but it also prevented, I think a lot deeper overlap than if it had been seven or eight guys there total. Right. Um, we did shoot a lot of deer though. <laughs> there was a lot yeah. of deer that, that were shot. Yeah, there were. And, uh, I mean, looking at some of the bucks that came out from that week, I mean, it was pretty incredible because, um, uh, you know, Bert got a good one. George got two great ones back to back, like just a few minutes apart. And then, um, Bo got one, you guys had some, you know, three or four bucks down in your group. So it was, uh, it was a pretty awesome camp from a success standpoint. It was one of the harder weeks I had ever hunting Kentucky. I mean, again, I was hunting with my recurve, which obviously presents some limitations, not, not tremendous, but the, the behavior, the weather, um, things that I would typically expect were out of the ordinary, um, you know, and I, I think that was fairly common for a lot of people this year was just weird, weird interactions with the animals, regardless of, of state, regardless of, of what, yeah. I mean, it just seemed like a lot of people, a lot of people got some big animals down, but a lot of people struggled that I know were usually pretty successful. So interesting yeah. year for sure. It was very hit or miss. It sounded like, but you know, um, I, I don't remember how many guys in our group, maybe four, um, all got good bucks. Some got multiple chances at deer. Like it was a, it was a fun time. Um, that was my first time down to Kentucky. So yeah, kind of a new experience for me. Yeah. I mean, I think George, you know, respect to, to George and the guys at uh, Salt River in Kentucky. I mean, they, they manage close to 50 farms and roughly 18,000 acres. And I mean, they, they legitimately work those farms you know year round and as hard as anybody can and I think that's why they get the result they do but I've, I've loved hunting with George over the years he's been such a big influence on on me as far as helping me get back into it kind of helping me really just see what a what a top level deer hunter yeah can can chase you know because like for me I was an opportunity hunter uh for years and you know just took what was available and a lot of times that was does a lot of times that was driving around with, you know, somebody in a pickup truck and, you know, just field edging. And, yeah. you know, when you're a kid, you just do what you just kind of do what everybody else is doing or what you see being done or what's available to you. So going to a place like George's and getting to be around some guys like that and seeing the caliber of, of bucks that those farms hold. And I don't know, I just have a tremendous amount of respect for it, but George has helped me out tremendously over the years. So, yeah, it was great. We, we, it was great. Like the, the stuff that they do is great. Um, Jared and I couldn't help ourselves. Like after I think the, cause I shot one, the first sit. Yeah. Uh, so we couldn't help ourselves. We just went right into public land and like went down all. I think I, I think I, you went out eventually. Yeah. Out I there. ended up going out there eventually. Yeah. But uh, I think you guys went to a different spot than I did, but yeah, yeah. man, there's big Kentucky. tracks and good deer there. Yeah. Kentucky's got a lot of, uh, a lot of good public land. Um, I was hunting the Georgetown track, Veterans yep. Memorial in Georgetown. And I met up with some guys uh, from Connecticut 
and they had been it was Connecticut or Vermont. Maybe it was a blend, but nevertheless, they were from way up northeast. They've been coming down to Kentucky that spot since fourteen, and they've all. I mean, they all killed great caliber bucks. Yeah. Um, the, the main guy that I talked to, um, probably a high 140, 150 public land class buck. And then I think the other two guys that were with them shot 130s. You know, so, I mean, I don't know where people fall on that, but either one of those deer walk in the field with me, I'm proud to shoot. Yeah, one. oh, yeah. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I, I just am not – I am not uh, privileged enough as a hunter and maybe not patient enough as a hunter to sit and blow a season because of one giant deer. Right. You know, I, I like the meat, I like the hunt. And, uh, you know, I, I just think Kentucky has some real potential. I, I think I was seven feet eye to eye on the ground, um, with probably a high 130, 140 caliber buck at that same spot in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, I was walking some track trails and really just trying to find a spot to, to hang a saddle. Yeah. And I'm walking down this lane. I've got my, my bow in my hand, my bag on my back and turn a bend and he turns a bend and we're, we're literally face to face with one another. And I was listening to a guy talk about what you can get away with, with a deer. And, you know, I was doing everything right in that moment. Cause he stopped of course. And he's like, what, what the heck is this guy doing? And I'm like, please keep doing what you're doing, which is just standing there. And uh, I got the arrow down got it around the arrow and I did this so slow and as soon as I got it knocked of course like okay I'm on the string so get on him right right well all those small calculated slow movements turned into this one big sweeping desire to shoot <laughs> and he had stayed until the movements got sweeping and aggressive you know right. what I mean like he was just watching what I was doing with some I, I would probably consider it some sense of curiosity like you know, moving the arrow around, not really making any noise, not making too much movement. And then you swing this big 62 inch bow up to draw on. And yeah. it was like, he was gone instantly. So, um, I would and like, if, that if you're like me, it's like, yeah, you know, you're shaking like crazy. Yeah. It's not yeah. fluid at that point. <laughs> no, it, it was just try to get it up there and, and hope for the best, you know, I mean, at seven feet, you probably not going to miss much, but nevertheless, it was, uh, it was an intense moment. And that's really, if you were to pare down my year to a, to a moment that encompassed all, that was it. Like I had opportunities, but either I wasn't prepared, uh, you know, the wind would swirl or something would, there were just so many moments that went against me um, that it just made it a challenging year for, for a lot of reasons. But like I said before, probably learned more this year than yeah. I have in the last five or six. So yep. no, I, had, I had the same year. I had the same type of year. Uh, like, like you said, I got, close to a lot of nice deer like mm -hmm. best probably season i've ever had in terms of getting close to them mm -hmm. um but you know i shot one but you know i just got just close and something didn't go right i didn't make the right move and i i had one where i bumped my trigger um yeah. my release um and so I don't know. Like those are you learn I I'm sure I learned this year way more than I've ever learned because of that but kind of sucked in the moment you know <laughs> well i'll be honest um not to pare it down to this one hunt but the first hunt of the year was in march in argentina and i got my i got the recurve at the end of december so i really had three months to kind of get myself acclimated and i did i mean i shot religiously i mean 
I don't think there was a day that went by that I didn't shoot at least 50 arrows, but I was between hundred and 200 arrows a day, yeah. you know, splitting it up over 10 to 20 arrow groups at a third, 10 to 20 arrows at a time over the course of the day. Um, so I go to Argentina and everything's going well. I feel confident with the bow. Um, never really called in a big game animal. I'd never hunted elk with, with a bugle or anything. So getting to, getting to hear a stag roar and where I hunted in, in La Pampa was amazing. I mean, this place is known for the hinds that it holds the females and the stags all come in during the roar. So we had, we had a theater of stags around us at all times. And that created a lot of opportunity and a lot of chances for stalks and, and whatnot. And I ended up getting to 11 yards. Uh, well, I, I saw a stag at 80 yards and called him into 11 and made, made what I still feel is uh, at least a lethal shot, if not close to a perfect shot. And we never recovered him. And, um, man, that was, that was probably one of the hardest feelings I've had to deal with in hunting because, you know, I've lost a doe or two in the past. And right or wrong, there's just not – there's just not the the level of maybe perfection isn't as demanded by the does because you know yeah. when you're hunt, when you're hunting a doe you're you're kind of doing a service to the herd and to the land and for the meat uh, when you're hunting a buck you pretty much are reducing that hunt down to a trophy you know you're trying to find an animal of mature age with a certain look and a certain aesthetic so this was the first time I'd lost uh, an antlered animal. And, uh, you know, there's a multitude of reasons for that. I shot him perfect. He ran into literally the thickest, gnarliest stuff that we could possibly see, you know, in yeah. all of our area, if he'd run in any other direction, he would have been safe. But as a wild animal does, it goes, it goes where it needs to go to be hidden and uh, right. just kind of set the tone for a rough year. You know, like I, I had some successful hunts for sure, but every time that I would start to feel like, okay, I kind of broke the curse, uh, something else would happen, you know? Yep. It, and, uh, it's just hard. I mean, it is, it is just hard. And I think after 2021, where I, I literally was successful on every hunt, but one, um, and, and really got some great animals last year. Well, no, I was, I was completely successful. Um, I didn't hunt mule deer in Arizona last year. I, I killed an elk. So, um, yeah, I was hundred percent last year. And I think that opened the ego up to even entertaining the recurve a little bit like, Oh, right. well, the compound's <laughs> gotten too easy. So I'll do the recurve and man, it is, it is a different beast, but it also showed me, you know, well, I'll take you back to a story in that hunt. Uh, I was hunting with Nick Morton from Australia. He and James from Australia and, you know, Australians can hunt pretty much year round and they kill a ton of uh, mountain pigs over there. Yeah. They're constantly chasing pigs. <clears throat> owner of an arrow company, owner of a broadhead company, owner of a bow shop, you know, I'm imagining Nick getting kills on these stags and these fallow deer, 50, 60, 70 yards, you know, like the very much Americanized model. <laughs> sure. Yep. And, uh, and talking to him, he said, man, he said, I don't know. He's like, I shoot 50, 60 yards sometimes, but like, I don't think I've shot an animal over 25 yards in six years. Right. And I was yep. like, that was probably the epiphany moment that, change the course of me as a hunter because I was becoming a better shooter. I was maximizing my bow's capabilities. I was getting, you know, the best sight I could, the best arrows I could, the best yep. everything that I could to mitigate the fact that I wasn't getting closer. 
Right. You know? Yeah. And uh, when I, when I kind of had that moment in my head where are you a good hunter or are you a good shooter that kills? And I definitely classify myself more as that shooter that kills. And so the recurve almost forced my hand into becoming yep, a better absolutely. hunter. Absolutely. Yep. And for, for guys that look at it and they're like, I wish I could try it or I want to try it, but I don't know. I think the payoff from skill capability and acquisition came in spades. Yeah. Whereas I think this year was kind of like in the muck and the mud of all the trial and error next year will likely see me a little more comfortable and confident in those settings and which I think by proxy means some more success. Well, exactly. And I actually think I'd rather be good because I've done tried, you know, be a good hunter. I've tried so hard and, and maybe failed a lot than just being successful a lot. Like I'd rather kind of be good than, than just shoot a lot of animals. Well, me too. And, you know, do you, do you ever think about why, like, why do guys get so ego driven about what they use to kill? Right. You know, um, you know, even when I shot that elk with a rifle, uh, even in the back of my head, it was like, well, that was easy. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a long shot, which was one of the goals that I had. I either wanted to be super close with a rifle or take a long shot, which I'd, you know, I'd taken some courses on and done some prone shooting at extreme distance. So I wanted to utilize my skill set. Sure. And, but even in the moment, like when I shot it, I was like, man, that was easy. You know, right. it was, um, and I don't know why easy is always a bad thing in, in men's minds or hunters' minds too. You know, like you kill something on day one with a rifle, you're just a right. piece of shit. It's like, well, you know, if you grind it out to the very end with a recurve, people are like, man, you're, you're the man. But it's like, both were successful. Both were, you know, on the animal with the chosen weapon that we wanted. Like, why do we get so defensive of what we use? But I'm guilty of it. And I'm going through oh, yeah. that now because um having pretty much dedicated to the recurve and then being afforded a couple opportunities to hunt with my compound uh one the people i hunted with on my compound one being levi morgan he's one of the best guys in the world mm -hmm. at a compound so watching him shoot kind of inspired me to get back to like okay i was a good shooter i'm not nearly that good so right, like exactly it, it created a new gap for me to chase um, and then also all the work that I did with the recurve, learning how to tune arrows to my bow, I'd always outsource that stuff for my compound. So I wanted to go back and learn that stuff. So, yeah, man, I, I just enjoy being a hunter. I do take a lot of pride in, in learning the recurve and hunting with that, but dude, I'm working harder with my compound than I ever have. Yeah. Um, and as I said, I dedicated to learning the rifle at distance. So I, I think there's something pretty cool and dare I say, even, uh, um better to have more multiple skill sets you know right. like it also uh, means you can hunt more like yeah that's, do that's them the all so isn't that really the goal if we get ego out of the way it's just really about how many times in a year can i be in the woods hunting? yeah oh for sure and i think that for me you know i have kind of i have kind of reached that point of exhaustion the last two two years with the hunting season um which i'm kind of I'm trying to debate out how to handle that moving forward because, you know, you go on, you go on two or three hunts a year, you know, maybe a turkey hunt in the spring and a couple of deer hunts in the fall. That feels like you're always kind of chomping at the bit for the next one. It, it mm -hmm. kind of makes it nice. 
Whereas I hunted Argentina, I hunted Africa, I hunted Kentucky, I hunted Ohio, I hunted uh, Texas, I hunted Arizona. You know, right. I was hunting all over and I was hunting like in Kentucky. I think I hunted a total of 40 days and um, killed two, one, two does, maybe. I can't remember. I killed one in, yeah, one doe in Kentucky. So it was a lot of hunting for <laughs> where, for where do you little. live? Uh, just the south uh, south of Lexington. It's a town called Berea in Kentucky. Okay, so I'm, right. I'm local here. Um, not about an hour from Georgia, <laughs> down the oh, interstate. Okay, I didn't know you're down there. All right, all right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I found though that hunting in your home state is kind of there's like a, I like it a lot. Like I feel like yeah. I'm more connected to it. I want to be able to be a good hunter, but especially you know we're in Michigan, like a good Michigan hunter. Yeah, a little bit. No, I think. I hunt with a couple guys, actually three guys from Michigan out in Oklahoma. And uh, one of those guys is Jamie Drouillard. He was, uh, he's an archery pro and works as a pro staff at Adams Archery and uh, just outside of uh, Ann Arbor, I think. Okay. I can't, remember, can't yep. remember exactly where it is, but Adams is a great shot. Jamie's a great shop. Ad, uh, Jamie is a great bow tech and friend. And then my buddy Dan and Gerald live up there as well. But we hunt Oklahoma together. And again, I was, you know, I was a paper plate killer. Like if you can hit a paper plate, you can kill a deer. That was kind of the shop that I grew up in. And, yeah, sure. And oh, learned around. Yep. And when I started hunting with those guys, you know, Jamie being a tournament archer and I think Dan and Gerald both may have done some target stuff, but nevertheless, they all shot at Adams and uh, very dedicated to being precision shooters. So whenever I get excited by people that are better than me, like, oh, you can actually do this much better. You can actually shoot, you know, golf ball size groups at 50 right. yards, not, yep. not a paper plate. Um, I began getting fascinated with the, maybe the art of archery. So I would drive five hours to Jamie and let him build my bows. Yeah. Uh, I was leaving Kentucky, driving up there, seeing him, letting him put strings on, letting him tune out my arrows and everything. And nothing against the five hour drive and definitely nothing against Jamie. <laughs> But I also wanted to have some accountability to myself. Like sure. I wanted to understand what my setup would be. You know, Jamie and I have same draw length. Um, you know, bows are very similar, but it's that's Jamie's setup. And it got me very close and it helped me realize, okay, what do you need from this gap to be exactly yep. what you would want? So I'm, I'm in that stage right now. Like I probably have more knowledge you know, in the field and, and in time behind the bow than ever before. But I'm also at a point where I'm like, man, I want to forget as much of that stuff as I can and start yeah. over with this new set of information. And it's been fun. It's been really fun for me. Yeah. No, it's fun to be part of the process. And like you said, you can, you go to a shop, but, and they'll get you really close, but sometimes that final little bit, that final little tweaking. So sometimes it's like you go in French tune, or I like to call it freedom tune. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you go out, do stuff like that, where it's just like one little bit, you hone it in a little bit more, a little bit more. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, let's, let's jump into a few questions. So, you know, Perfect. we've obviously we've, we've done a little bit of background of your hunt hunting, but I mean, you are a retired world-class power lifter, right? I think yeah. you're the first power lifter we've had on this podcast. Well, I am a, I'm a recovering power lifter. We'll put it that <laughs> way. I, uh, I was, I was injury retired. Actually, I was on top of the sport ranked pretty much, uh, at the top of the sport or in the argument for top of the sport at the time when, when I was coming off of two world championships, 
in 2014 and started out, competed. I was at the L.A. Lakers uh, Staples Center in L.A. Competition that I hadn't really planned on doing, um, coming off of a championship, being in Australia for a couple weeks after that, going to Mexico for a week or so after that. And really after my competition, it wasn't like I was, you know, coming off the chain and just losing my mind, but I enjoyed myself. I indulged in food. I indulged in some alcohol. I, you know, I didn't necessarily train like I was competing for a championship because I wasn't at the time. I just won. So kind of enjoying the spoils and uh, kept getting call from this promoter about his competition. And, you know, kept, we'd love to see you there. We'd like to help you get there. We'd love to pay for your room every phone call just kind of sweetened the deal and I still wasn't going. And actually a guy that I have a ton of respect for and is a friend now, um, didn't know him then, but he had just said, yeah, I think I can beat Brandon Lilly. Well, <laughs> money aside, all that other stuff aside, <laughs> I would like to say that I, I listened to my pride and wanted to put my name out there, but it was really ego and fear <laughs> of not being the man. So right. I go to this competition somewhat, uh, peaked for my last competition, but, uh, definitely not peaked for a competition. And I'd been on vacation for a few weeks, as I mentioned. So I trained like, like crazy for about three weeks, just trying to get myself even back to a respectable level of, of strength and took my opener. It felt heavy, took my second, uh, had a misstep. So it gave me red lights and I had to repeat it on my third. I'd only planned to take those two attempts. But having to repeat it on my third, as soon as I start to go down, uh, my left knee somewhat twisted and rotated in. And that leg was as if you took a, a drumstick from a chicken leg yep. and, uh, and the, you know, the thigh and just twisted it because it, it was a spiral tear. It tore mm -hmm. every ligament, every tendon, every tendon, broke my kneecap and uh, did a lot of damage to my left knee. And then my right knee was a little little less than that, but still required pretty extensive surgery. But I had 19 surgeries on my left knee. So I saw uh, the video. It's horrible. That is yeah, absolutely it's, awful. It's a pretty bad one. And I used to um, I used to watch it every day, like as a reminder of no matter how high you climb in this life, it can be over in an instant, you know, and when that happened, my world kind of collapsed around me because I'm an all in kind of person, you know, whether it's good or bad, I tend to just be to the limit. And, uh, that's where I was with powerlifting. It was my money. It was my hobby. It was my, it was everything. And when I got hurt, uh, pretty much within about two weeks of that moment, you know, I went from being supported by sponsors and com competition, being able to make a living to, I don't know how I'm going to live because every sponsor, but Sornex walked away. And Sornex was not even like an active sponsor. It was just more of like when we found things that we could work on together, we would work on them. Right. And it was just kind of a collaboration deal at that point. And uh, I went to Bert and I just told him, I said, man, I, you know, if you guys let me go, I'm pretty much cooked. You know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I don't want to be an athlete. I don't want to be a sponsored athlete. I want to work here. If you need a janitor, I'll clean the floors. If you need somebody to, open the place up. I'll do that. Whatever you need. I just need a job. Here's how much money my bills are. Here's how much money I would like to make so I can pay my bills and, you know, go to a movie every once in a while. Like I wasn't right. asking, I wasn't asking for very much at all. I just wanted to be able to live. Yeah. And Bert's exact words were, well, he said, I think you've got something really great within you. 
He's like, I don't know exactly where you'll fit in right this second, but we'll figure it out. And, you know, going on six and a half, seven years later, here I am. So Bert probably gave me a door to walk through that, that not only changed the course of my life, but probably at that point in time saved it. Um, I was very, very emotionally gone and, you know, pain meds were a problem. Uh, I didn't, I didn't necessarily get addicted to them, but I would, I would not take them for seven or eight days and then I would have a bad day and I'd take seven or eight pain pills. You know, it was that kind of deal. And uh, a lot of dark days, a lot of worry and uncertainty, but you know, one thing is for sure that Sorenek's job led to the outdoors. It led to Sorenek's outdoors and it led to me somewhat living the life that I do. So I try to remind myself that a lot when, you know, when I, when I'm having a bad day or I think, man, boohoo, life sucks. Life has sucked and it certainly doesn't suck now. There, there are things about it that can suck on a day-to-day basis. Right. But it, it is an overall, uh, I was, I was just talking about it last night. Like my life has been impossibly good relative to what it should have been. Right. You know? So. Yeah. It's interesting how that goes and a drive like that can push you to great things, but it can also, when, when it, yeah, it can go bad too. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when at this, at what point in this did you, you know, start getting into the outdoors? I mean, is this part of, you know, have you always done this or, or is this newer? Well, definitely newer in the sense of how I'm doing it. Like I said, when I was younger, it, it wasn't hunting for, you know, for the, uh, the reverence or like, you know, because it meant something to me. It was just like, oh, we're going to go hunt, shoot guns. And, you know, if we kill a yeah. deer, great. So that was my introduction. Um, I wouldn't say it was a bad introduction because we had a lot of fun times. There were many days we never even shot, shot a gun, but we had fun. Yeah. So that was probably the drop in the, in the pond to get me interested in the outdoors. But fast forward to my powerlifting days, you know, I was a thrower in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty demanding. And then right out of college, got married, had a job, had a kid, all that stuff was very demanding. And then years went by and, um, we kind of went our separate ways and um, I've, I was doing the powerlifting thing, hardcore full time. And, you know, I'm 350 pounds at this point when <laughs> yeah. I at my, at my biggest, I was 350 at my best. I was about 330, 350 came after the injury when I was just sure. trying to, trying to <laughs> yeah. pack on weight. But um, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it forever. Like I was already starting to see the writing on the wall. Like, even though I came back and competed, um, at a very high level, believe it or not, through 11 or 12 surgeries, um, I kept coming back and kept getting infection, kept getting back, kept getting infection. Um, I, I started to look for something else to do. And, you know, I was listening to Rogan quite a bit um, and came across Cam Haynes on that <laughs> podcast. And this would have been more, probably one of his first ever podcasts that yep. was on there. This was like 16, 17, somewhere in there. And this is probably 2018 when I'm listening to it. So I'm going back a little bit and I find his episode and like just the guy's outlook on never giving up, never, never accepting weakness, always pushing harder, always going a little bit further than the next guy. And then also the success in the field. It just seemed like that's a mentality that I had as far as for powerlifting. And I lost it when I got hurt. Right. I needed to reinvent myself in some way and needed to find something that I could tie my focus and my excitement towards. So I started 
you know, literally at 350 pounds, 19 knee surgeries, I was like, I don't even know if I can walk a mile. Like I literally mean that because when I was powerlifting, I didn't know cardio. Right. Um, I can, I can remember one time, uh, going to, going to the mall at Christmas and I was like park bench hopping in the mall. Like everyone that I could sit down, huh. on, I would sit down on, you know, but I 500, 600 feet at a time, lower back would get pumped. I'd start sweating. It just wasn't a good, good self image. And, uh, I was like, I don't even know if I can walk a mile, but I know at 350 pounds, I'm like die soon if I don't. Right. So I went out, I walked a mile. Well, lo and behold, I, I walked a mile from my truck. So I turned around and it's like, yeah. I gotta go a mile back. <laughs> and I was like, do you think you can jog it? And I was like, I will jog as much as I can. So, and I'm talking like arms were moving fast, but feet were kind of shuffling things. Yeah. 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 Right. But I made it back. So I was like, I did two miles. And dude, that was all it took because the next day I was like, I think I can do a 5k and I did a 5k and I was like, maybe I can do that again. So I did it again for the next day. And then I did seven miles, um, just to see if I could. And then literally about 10, 12 days into the whole process, I was like, I want to run a half marathon. Yeah. So, so I start running this half marathon and I'm like, well, that's an idiot. Just a pussy start something with half in the name. Yeah. So half doesn't up, so, seem right. Yeah. So I ended up doing a, a marathon at 300 plus pounds. Um, you know, no business doing it. it took me eight and a half, nine hours. You know, it was like a snail's pace, but I did it. Like I committed yeah. to something and finished it for the first time in a long time. And that just set the wheel in motion. Um, Cam saw that and kind of encouraged me a little bit. Then I got with Sornex and did a hundred thousand meter row in a day. And through that, um, started talking to Bert more about getting in the outdoors. I knew he was into that and talking to some other guys, but Cam was kind of the genesis. And then not saying that I don't follow Cam now, but he just, he just blew up into such a figure that the, the back and forth messages that we had just yeah. going, like they had to stop. Like he couldn't, we weren't friends. He was just supportive and encouraging. Yeah. But you know, he blew up and then I found uh, a couple other guys like Remy Warren was a guy that I really stuck to and found a lot of interest in um, green tree down in Australia, which introduced me to Nick down in Australia and on and on and on. I started finding these men that were just, you know, inc incredible outdoorsmen and really capable hunters and they fed their families and they showcased the whole process. Yeah. And that was where I wanted to be. I wasn't necessarily like, I got to kill a big elk. I just wanted something like in a world where I had thought I was the man lost the ability to take care of myself. Now I wanted to work towards actually being able to take care of myself. Yep. And that was, that was the reintroduction to hunting was uh, just wanting to be able to put food in the freezer, wanting to know that if shit ever hit the fan, that I could at least capably pursue an animal and be successful. Like, yeah. I don't know where that came from other than just the timeline I told you, but when COVID hit, that really started to become yeah. kind of like, you know, so I'm 18, 19, kind of reintroducing myself to the woods, 20 hits. And it's like, dude, I'm glad you got this two year backbone of, of starting on this because I don't know what's coming down the pipeline, but I do know how to hunt animals and I do know how to kill animals. So I felt like I had a leg up. And that just led to more training. Like I want to learn how to do a bow drill to start a fire. I want to learn how to do right. these kind of things, you know, just wanted to be a capable human. And for me, that just immediately invoked the woods. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing how many people were, uh, I mean, actually use social media in a good way 
to at least get introduced to people that support them and doing these types of things, like you said, to, through campaigns or even just get information. I mean, you can hate on social media a lot and there's mostly junk, but there is good material out there that will show you how to do a lot of this kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, dude, I think that, uh, you know, the number one podcast that I listen to is uh, Kafaru cast, you know, and Aaron, and uh and that crew out there i mean aaron's about as deadly a, a human being as there is with a bow yeah. of any kind and just his no bullshit attitude his his willingness to say that something doesn't work the way it's advertised as working or doesn't work the way that he thinks it should work like you have to agree with his opinion but for for somebody to give their opinion he has the time invested to give yeah, a very right. very valid one yeah so his work on the podcast kind of drove me further into that more yeah i don't just want to be a casual hunter i want to do this as an outdoorsman i don't just yeah. want to be a hunter i want to photograph i want to camp i want to hike i want to hunt so all of it yeah because otherwise i mean you can't you can still shoot a lot of animals you go to a bunch of different outfitters you do the thing you're you, you can do it and it, it is fun to do but to, to know it and to be able to do it yourself is just very fulfilling too. Oh, I agree. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, you know, um, part of this series is great hunting stories, right? So you've, you've mm -hmm. been hunting a lot of different places. You've listed off, you know, a dozen places by now that you've been. Yep. When you think of a great hunting story, what comes to mind? I mean, there is no hunting story that is as deeply good for me as when I share a camp with people um and really i had a camp in hawaii on axis deer with a group of guys ryan mickler rick trimmer matt schmigdal scott davis and uh, a couple other guys were out there and uh we ended up talking about it and putting in to go to minnesota matt owns a farm up in minnesota and to get there it's the same group of guys plus a couple others yep we had already had a really good year uh, or a really good time in, in hawaii so Fast forward a few months and we're whitetail hunting in Minnesota. Great group, beautiful property. Um, it's Matt's family's land. So he was like taking us through all that. And, you know, for me, I was certainly not expecting to kill a really big deer. And Matt had told us that right up front. He's like, we have deer, we have good bucks. We don't have just exceptional bucks. Um, we have just good 130 type class, 140 maybe class. So hunt's coming on, and I'd shot some does. A couple of the other guys had shot some does, shot a buck. Ryan shot a really nice buck up there, Ryan Mickler. And uh, it's getting down to like the last day or two. And Matt pulls me aside. He's like, Man, I got a spot I love, and there's a big buck in here, but we've never, we've never seen him except on camera, maybe once or twice. I was like, okay, well, this is quarter to seven in the morning. He walks me back to the stand mm -hmm. and, you know, it's still he's like, dark out. Uh, just the edge of light. Like it was mm -hmm. coming up over the horizon, but it was basically dark 10 feet in front of your face. Like you yep. couldn't see for good ways. So he shows me amazing setup inside this, this tree. Um, I climbed up the ladder, but it was like the tree was wrapped all the way around me. So I had, no vision of a silhouette whatsoever if a deer looked up and i had a hole cut out in front of me so it was like i was already feeling really good protected and invisible so 
start seeing some does come around. Actually, they surprised me coming from my left because he had said everything typically comes right to left. Yeah. Well, well, they come up out of the left, and I'm like, dude, I got, I mean, I'm texting one of the guys, like, I got a doe at 65 yards. I'm about to take a shot. And he was like, man, that's far for a shot. And I was like, dude, it's a doe, and I've done it before. Like, that's, I can hit this doe. And he was like, man, just wait. I think something's going to happen. Well, sure enough, as soon as I hit, all right, I'll wait. I look up and I see a buck walking in the field. And I am a sucker for a typical eight point or 10. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like to me, you can have all the mass in the world. You give me that, like I said, that 130, 140 class eight point or 10 point that's symmetrical and just beautiful. Yep. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like that's, that's me all day long. So I'm focusing on this deer and he's walking out. And man, I am itching to shoot because he was beautiful. And he walks out in the field in a straight line and he's coming broadside. And it's like five, 10 more yards, maybe. I'm going to have a lane to shoot. And all of a sudden, this big, big buck runs <laughs> out from behind him. And, you know, they're, they're now parallel bodied. So they're side by side, horn to horn, rib cage to rib cage. So now I can't shoot. It's right. like if I shoot at this deer, I hit the other one. So, it stays like this for a few minutes. You know, it's kind of like watching the horse down the derby, the, the final stretch, you know, one's nose would pull a little bit ahead and I'm like, okay, this is going to be the chance. And then the other would pull ahead. So it was kind of this deal and I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm up there and bows in my hand. Uh, the cam is resting on my left knee because mm -hmm. I'm a right-handed shooter. So yep. I'm just like sitting there waiting. Well, and all this going on, um, the bow just started to tilt and it kind of hit something and ding, like just uh -huh. made a sound. So the front buck, the symmetrical buck turns, and now these two bucks are making a T. So if the, uh -huh. the symmetrical eight points asshole was drawing, a, <laughs> you put a laser pointer in it, it would have gone <laughs> through the back rib of the big buck. Okay, sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so like he, they were making a <laughs> T, and the bigger buck's head was to the left. All his vital organs were exposed to the left of that body of the deer. Yeah. So – I was like, this is going to be my chance. So I draw and dude, he must've watched me draw. Cause as soon as I drew back and put my eye to the peep, I saw the symmetrical deer, his front hoof came up and he was going to stomp. So as he was coming down with his hoof, I can see all this in my peripheral. And I just go, boom, smoked that deer, like absolutely perfect shot. Deer went down, literally hit it. It took about three steps, fell on its front. Yeah. Legs like this. The snow okay. Yeah. He stood up and then went right back down. He didn't, he didn't move at all. Like it was just, and what? to tell well, and to tell you the truth, I'd had an arrow built, um, at around 540 grains okay. at a 125 head with a 50 grain collar for this hunt. Um, I was supposed to hunt pigs right after it. Yep. So I was going a little bit heavier. I'd gone to a 565 arrow. <laughs> Yeah. So when it hit it, that kinetic energy just like popped it, it, just popped it. And I've never seen a deer behave that way. And the fact that it just, it literally took it like a rifle shot, yeah. stumbled, stood up and went down, never moved again. The big and one, right? You're saying the you big shot one. the big one. Yeah. yeah the yeah, big okay. one. And he was, he ended up being, um, he ended up being 13 points on a 10 point frame. I'm sorry. He was on an eight point frame, had 13 points, had some inlines, had some crazy kickers, had double split G twos. Um, just a lot of funk, you know, yeah. and, and really a beautiful deer, uh, you know, as far as having the deer that I thought was, that's the deer of my dreams versus this is just a bigger deer with an ethical shot. 
Um, I didn't have any regret afterwards once yeah. I saw him and got to study him, you know, cause he was beautiful. He was, he was gorgeous. Um, I just don't love a bunch of trash. I don't sure. like when they get all gnarly. Chris, and that's not clean. Yeah. I like that look. So, but, uh, I got one of those in Texas this year, but that, that, uh, that hunt in Minnesota probably stands out as one of my favorite just because of the group of guys I was with. Um, and, and that's true of all my camps. Like my favorite yeah. camp ever is the guys in Oklahoma. Like they're just, they're my boys and they're, they're my type of guys, but camp is always going to be the people that you're with is going to be a high standard for what makes a good hunt, even when I'm unsuccessful. Yeah. But as far as just having two quality shooter deer in the field at the same time, kind of in that neck and neck nose yeah. and nose situation, <laughs> um, it took what was seemingly a calm. This is going to be a 30 yard shot, super simple broadside on an eight point to, okay, I don't even know if I'm going to get a shot in this field because as they were drifting left, you know, I've got a window to shoot because I told you I had that hole cut out. So yep. they're edging towards that closeness of the edge. So I'm glad it worked out the way that it did. And I'm glad that I was able to kind of focus in that high stress moment of knowing that deer had seen me or at least seen something. Yeah. He's getting ready to stomp. Um, and still literally that's still the best shot of my life. I've got, right. I've, I've it can all hard. fall apart right there. Hey, that's, Dude, that's, if it's going to, that's the spot it will. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I had a, I had a miss like that this year on a pig. Um, I was out there in Oklahoma and just had this, I mean, it was the equivalent of missing a Volkswagen beetle, you know, like that's how yeah. big this pig was. <laughs> and, uh, I had seen him coming and I was kind of cresting these little ridges, but I could see him working my way. And this is last light 15, 20 minutes before sundown. And he comes around and, uh, I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to happen. He's going to come to 10 yards, five yards, whatever it is. He's coming straight at me. So he comes up over this little berm and stops. And I mean, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Like it's the biggest head I've ever seen on a pig. <laughs> and, you know, I'm at 11 yards from this thing and I go to draw whoop, and I did draw successfully and I go to let go. And in my aiming, I must've just collapsed a little bit because the arrow shot just left of him and, and hit a tree and went oh. kind of off. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those deals, man. Like you're so, you're so dependent upon your training. Yeah. And yeah. I had, I had done a lot of high stress induction shooting with my compound intentionally, but with my recurve, it was more like just be methodical, hit your shot, no stress. Just you miss yeah. one, take it easy. So when the stress hit in that situation, I wasn't foreign to it but i was also not used to holding back and like fighting that tension yeah it's huge. And, and i think that's what collapsed when i when i panicked so coming home i worked on that a lot more was able to go back out there and kill some some more pigs uh not too long ago so it's uh it's all a process man and you know i i don't know the advice that i would give somebody as far as to get to a point where you're confident and and capable but the only thing that I know is that the more I do stuff, the better I get at it. So reps has always been my focus. Yeah. You know, if you can, if you can stalk pigs and you want to kill an elk one day, stalk pigs, you know, you're, yeah. you're at least stalking an animal. You're going to get reps. You're going to learn behavior. You're going to learn things. And that's what I'm trying to do now is just peace. Like realize that hunting is not, Oh, it's whitetail hunting or elk hunting yeah. or mule deer hunting. I'm trying to piece this thing <clears throat> together, like a big world map, like, if I can do all of these things, I can kill any species I attack. 
Yeah. You know, that's where I want to be. It's a bigger, bigger picture. Even looking at the season as more than just um, a series of single event hunts. Yeah. Like your season is a hunt. It's just yeah. different moments in it. Yeah. Um, and with a little, you know, there are some right training and just a lot of time you can go out there and, and be a great hunter. It's just like you said, reps in the field. Um, mm -hmm. Huge, huge believer in that. It's nothing exciting or like, you know, like this one thing changed my life. It's just like day in, day out, failing in different ways, learning different situations. Yep. Yeah. Fail forward. That's, yep. the, uh, yep. that's the old cliche, right? <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Well, Hey, we're coming up on time here. Um, Brandon, okay. thank you for for taking all the time to, to talk and to share some of your story and and some of the, your approaches to hunting and stuff. It's really actually fun to follow you on social media. So I appreciate for people it. who are listening, like you, you got to check out some of the things you're putting out. Well, how, how can people find you? Uh, I, have, I run two Instagram pages, one, which is more like me, my, my hunting, kind of a lifestyle page, I guess you would say, or just me, Brandon Lilly three, L-I-L-L-Y and the number three. And then a uh, page more dedicated to training, nutrition, that kind of thing is peace, love and meat. All one word, peace, love and meat as one big tagline. Um, getting ready to fire up some stuff on there. I was kind of quiet through the holidays. But yeah, I got a lot of stuff coming on both pages as I move forward. So excited about all of it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Everybody go check them out. Uh, Brandon, <laughs> thanks again for, for your time. Really appreciate it. And I appreciate you. And hopefully we get to share a camp together again soon. Absolutely. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. We really do appreciate it. If you want to go on to any kind of social media platform, give us a like, share, subscribe. You know, it really helps us out. keeps the train rolling. And if you guys really like what you're listening here, give us a five-star Either star way, if, even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like review. it, five stars. That'd helps cool. everyone out. We'll see you out there.